blessed Franz Jagerstatter was martyred by the Nazis during the Second World War. He teaches us how to live in our decisive times. A simple, young, married farmer was given the grace to see through all the lies and deception and stay firm. Divine Providence brought Blessed Franks into my life some 40 years ago, way before he was beatified, and he has had a great influence on me, and I hope you now can understand why. There are so many lessons we learn from him on how to face the times that we are living. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, give us the anointing, the grace to receive this testimony. Mother Mary, pray for us. We consecrate this teaching to you. Blessed Franks Jagerstatter, pray for us. Amen. The Nazis developed methods of psychological manipulation using propaganda and fear to create mass psychosis. Many supported the Nazis also for selfish interest. For example, pharmaceutical companies and others became the backbone of the Nazi military complex. Some of those companies are still in business today. Bayer was the one who created Zyklon, the gas used in the gas chambers. IBM was intensely involved in supporting the Nazis, even though it's an international company. In 1938, Austria voted for the Anschluss, which is the annexation to Nazi Germany. The streets of Vienna overflowed with enthusiasm, welcoming Hitler as their Fuhrer. Now, Vienna is almost completely Catholic at that time. Frank's village, Radegund, was entirely Catholic, except one person. Yet, he was, he, Franks, was the only person to vote against the annexation to Nazi Germany. The few who were not captivated but the Nazi ideology still voted in favor, they said, for fear of Nazi backlash. They said it was prudent to do so, or there was really nothing else to do. And so in the streets, the euphoria was so great that uh, villagers greeted each other with Heil Hitler. But France refused, and publicly declared he would not fight in Hitler's war. Franz was deeply grieved that the leaders of the church in Austria supported the annexation and praised the Nazi party for its many, quote-unquote, good works. Franz Jagerstatter wrote, I believe that what took place in the spring of 
1938 was not much different from Good Thursday 1900 years ago when the Jewish crowd was given a free choice between an innocent savior and the criminal Barabbas. This is the day that the Austrian church allowed itself to be taken prisoner and has been in chains ever since. The great fight between life and death has already begun. However, in the midst of it, there are many who continue to live their lives as if nothing has changed, as if this great and decisive struggle does not concern them. The fact is that the vast majority of Catholics submitted to the government's ideology. Austria, a Catholic country, welcomed Hitler And this shows how Satan's ability to deceive and control is so real. He uses high ideals and virtues to hide his evil plans. He knows he has to do that in order to succeed. Adolf Hitler, for example, talked about the common good and love of country as arguments. Only those who have a mind transformed in Christ and embrace the cross can enter the battle and defeat Satan. And these are shown in history to be very few. Franz writes about the church's compliance with the Nazis, and I quote, In Germany, before Hitler came to power, it was once a matter of policy to refuse Holy Communion to Nazis. And what is the situation today in this great German right? The answer, of course, is that many who have become Nazis and have turned their children over to the Nazis for their formation, now approach the communion rail with no spiritual misgivings at all. Have they then, while for more than two years now, a horrible human slaughter has been going on, established a new policy that sees all this as something permissible or not to be mentioned? Or has the teaching authority of the church already made or approved the decision that men may now join a party that is opposed to the church? It simply means that there is no longer any likelihood that there will be a bloody persecution of Christians here because for virtually anything the Nazis want or demand, Christians will yield. So the big question, how 
did we come to this? Franks writes, did Nazism fall from the sky on us? I think it should, I should not waste too many words on this, since anyone who has not been asleep for the last 10 years knows perfectly well how and why things have come to be the way they are. Before the Nazi takeover, all kinds of sexual immorality, abortion, contraceptives, pagan ideologies were widely accepted. He saw that. I mean, we're talking about a blessed man. In the years before the Nazis, in fact, Germany had become progressively pagan. The cities were awash with prostitution, drugs, and pornography. Does it sound familiar? Germany became home to the world's first homosexual movement, their first magazine, and the first pro-lesbian movie, 1931. How can this happen in a Christian country? Franks saw that immorality leads people away from God and blinds their conscience. Because the Lord said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Once we fall in all kinds of sexual immorality, we just don't have any discernment for other things that have to do with the way of God. If we don't see God's way, we are vulnerable to ideologies and fall for other gods. Second Corinthians 4.2. The God of this world blinds the understanding so that it does not see the bright light of the gospel. German Christians accommodated to the world. Even before Nazis took over, many formally left the church. Intellectuals rejected Christianity, saying that it was an imported religion. In other words, not German. Others thought to reinvent Christianity by adapting it to the prevalent immoral practices and German pagan beliefs, such as the superiority of the Aryan race, pride. Renowned Bible scholars of 11 Protestant churches founded the Institute for the Elimination of Jewish Influence in the German church. Notice the German church. In this way, they paved the way for anti-Semitism and for the Nazis to do what they did. Done by Christians. They rejected any relation of Christianity with Judaism. Oh my God, you know, Jesus is a Jew. Mary is a Jew. The German Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, did oppose the Nazis until they took power. But after 
the persecution began and resistance faded. So, France was called to military service and he refused. The pressure on France to capitulate was enormous. Everyone told him that he could not refuse. His wife even tried to persuade him because she was afraid. But she then stood with him when she saw that he was determined. He went to every priest, first in his own town, then in all the neighboring towns, seeking to know if he was morally permissible to refuse to fight for Hitler. No one, not one, supported him. A priest even accused him of being self-centered in his religious and political views and not thinking of his duties to family and farm. He was a farmer. This left him very confused and in great anguish. How can it be that even the priests tell me to obey the Nazis? Could it be that my resistance is pride? Finally, he went to the bishop and was again rebuked for his stand. The bishop told him, number one, he had the responsibility to obey and no responsibility for the actions of secular rulers. In other words, just obey and never mind if they're right or wrong. Number two, Franks had an absolute responsibility towards his family. Finally, seeing Franks' depth of conviction, the bishop conceded that he could take the path of martyrdom, but only if he knew that he was called to it through an exceptional revelation from above and not for reasons of his own. So Jagger, Frank Jaggerstetter accepted this. In a letter to his parish priest upon his refusal to join the military, he said, since no one can dispense me from what I view as the danger to the health of my soul that this gang, the Nazis, presents, I cannot change my decision, which you already know. As it is, it is so hard to come even one step closer to perfection. It is even conceivable to try in such an outfit. Christ did not praise Peter for denying him merely out of fear of men. How often would I probably have to repeat the denial serving in that outfit? May God protect you and all the other priests. So Franks was imprisoned and condemned to death. He was called to active duty in February of 1946. He refused to comply. 
sent to prison. He and his wife at that time had three children, three girls, the oldest not quite six. Before and during prison, he was constantly rebuked for his decision. Especially painful was the accusation that he was abandoning his responsibilities towards his family. So he wrote, Again and again, people stress the obligation of conscience as they concern my wife and children. Yet I cannot believe that just because one has a wife and children, he is free to offend God by lying, not to mention all the other things he would be called to do. Did not Christ himself say, he who loves father, mother, children more than me, is not deserving of my love? His lawyer insisted upon Franks to make some concessions. He objected to his decision. And the objections became more and more sophisticated. And here it's very important to see how we can justify anything if we want to avoid a conflict. They told him, you must defend your country or you will be a traitor. War is survival. Germany's enemies also are using immoral means. If you do not accept military service, knowing that you will be sentenced to death, it's like committing suicide. Resisting is totally useless. When that did not work, then they started challenging him based on his faithfulness to the Catholic faith. They said, you're not responsible for the mistakes of your superiors, but rather for obeying the government. Do your duty to the nation as the church tells you to, and as millions of Catholics, including priests and seminarians, are doing. Some of them are actually engaged in combat. And France replied, perhaps they have not been given the grace to see things otherwise. So they asked him, do you think you know more about the Catholic faith than the bishops? They challenged him to name a single bishop who, in a pastoral letter or sermon, had called on Catholics not to support the war or to refuse military service. <coughs> Franks knew no one. Then they argued, give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And Franks replied, you can't obey if what they command you is a sin. Then he quoted Peter and John's response to the elders at the temple. Judge for yourselves whether it's right before God to obey you instead of obeying him, God. Then they ask, by what right can you take a position that is more Catholic than that taken by priests and bishops? 
who have the responsibility to make theological judgments. Franks responded that this is the kind of moral judgment that ultimately has to be made by the individual conscience. To the end, Franks insisted that his decision was based on his faithfulness to his Catholic faith and that the Nazi regime was incompatible with the faith, even if the hierarchy did not see it. They told him, you have no competence to pass judgment on the morality of war. The church in Germany will need men like you after the war. It's a very complex issue, they said. Franks replied, I cannot hold Hitler accountable for my actions. I cannot reconcile my conscience with fighting for Hitler. Now, the above arguments show how elaborate we can be to obscure a simple truth. When our desires to preserve ourselves in this world, preserve interests, reputation, assets, relationships, or life itself, this desire of preservation becomes stronger than the truth and love of Christ. The enemy provides us with many arguments to justify ourselves and avoid the cross, while at the same time remaining convinced that we are good Catholics. Those who justify themselves find the need to attack those who act coherently because the light bothers the darkness. Darkness hates light. So Franks is accused of being an extremist, inflexible, stubborn, mentally imbalanced. It was said that his religiosity had led him to fanaticism. He wrote amazing letters from prison. We don't have time for, but except a few excerpts. He wrote to his wife, it would not be too much for me if I had to go a hundred kilometers on foot to attend a single mass. A man first realizes the true value of our faith in a situation like this. Let us fervently pray that the light of faith will never be extinguished in us. He who is not willing to suffer with and for Christ will also not share his resurrection. And even if the cross that God or ourselves has laid upon us becomes a little heavy, I will never, it will never get as difficult and heavy as the one which Satan loads on his followers, many of whom have already broken under this burden 
and thrown their lives away. His reflections are beautiful because they're so simple, so clear, so obvious for a mind that is pure. Like he would say, do not let a single day go by in vain without putting it to good use for eternity. And on and on. He said, neither person nor chains nor sentence of death can rob a man of the faith and his own free will. God gives so much strength that it is possible to bear any suffering, a strength stronger than all the might of the world. In prison, Franks helped convert two men sentenced to death who became Catholic. He did not go to to, to heaven alone. He took some with him. He said, it's always possible to save one's own soul and perhaps some others as well by bearing individual witness against evil. But France also prayed and suffered for the conversion of the Nazis, believing that from his prison cell, he could bring many graces upon them. He said, already there, has been, there have been SS men, so I have heard, who have been converted before their death. People are often not as bad as one thinks. He shared with his wife in a letter, I am completely happy. I will not weaken. I am happy that I have come this far. May God accept my life as a penance, not only for my sins, but for those of others as well. The prison chaplain, Father Kressberg, made a three-hour attempt to change Frank's mind. In the end, though, he congratulated him on the strength of his moral commitment and told him about Father Reinisch. Father Reinisch is a Palatine priest who had been executed a year earlier for the same crime of refusing to take the military oath. Father Kressberg describes in a book he wrote later the joy and relief with which Franks had received the news that someone else, a priest no less, had traveled the same path. We need to witness to each other. We need to help each other. That's very encouraging. He understood that to be able to discern clearly, a person must not succumb to fear and must be willing to die. If we're not willing to die, we will succumb to fear and we will justify our actions. Franks understood the difference between Catholic teaching and the position of those in the clergy who were dominated by fear. And he was committed to obey Catholic teaching. He said, 
This sentence of death should serve as a warning for the Lord God will not deal much differently with us if we think we do not have to obey everything he commands us through his church to believe and to do. And Franks had the grace to forgive. He said, I must not think ill of others who act different from me. And I think this is a big thing because in this culture war, it's so easy to get angry, to get resent, resentful, to close ourselves into camps. Not Franks. He said, it is much better to pray for everyone than to judge them. If one does not entertain any thoughts of vengeance against others and can forgive everyone, even when sometimes he is the object of a harsh word, he will have peace in his heart. And what is there in the whole world more beautiful than peace? He concluded, most men make life bitter for themselves by the hardness of their hearts. He also specifically forgave priests and bishops. And I quote, let us not throw stones at our bishops or priests. They too are men like us, made of flesh and bone, and they can weaken. They are probably much more tempted by the evil enemy than the rest of us. Perhaps they have been too ill-prepared to undertake this fight and choose between life and death. Perhaps too, our bishops thought that it would be a short time before everything fell apart and that with their compliance, they could spare the faithful many agonies and martyrdom. Unfortunately, things turned out to be quite different. Years have passed, and now thousands of people must die in the clutches of error every year. It is not difficult to imagine what heroic decision it would take for our people to repudiate all the mistakes that have been made in recent years. This is why we should not make things more difficult for our spiritual leaders than they already are by making accusations against them. Let us pray for them so that God lightens the great task that's still ahead. On August 9, 1943, Frank Jagger received the Eucharist and the last sacraments before he was beheaded. He had prayed that he could be with Mother Mary the day of the Assumption. He died six days before. Mary answered his prayer. Some say that Franks went out of his way to seek martyrdom, and therefore his vocation is not a vocation for all. This opinion is another justification to accommodate to the world. 
Franks was not seeking martyrdom. Instead, like all the saints, he was faithful to Christ, applying his teaching and willing to pay the price. Martyrdom was just a consequence, and he embraced it. He did not conform to the mindset of the world, nor the mindset of Catholics around him, but rather he put his gaze on Christ and the example of the saints that the church presents as models. The the night before Franks was executed, Chaplain Jockman visited him and found him completely calm and prepared. Not a word of complaint escaped his lips. On the table in front of him lay a document. When the priest mentioned that just by signing it, he would save his life, Franks smiled at the paper with the explanation, I cannot and must not swear in favor of a government that is fighting an unjust war. The chaplain then offered to read from the Bible. Franz replied, I am completely immersed in inner union with the Lord, and any reading would only interrupt my communication with God. Father Jockman could never forget how Franz's eyes sparkled with such joy and confidence. The following day, August 9, the chaplain witnessed the calm and collected way Franks walked towards the scaffold. He had expressed to his wife the desire to be with Mary. Visiting the Austrian nuns later, the chaplain recalled Franks and said, since they were Austrian sisters, I can only congratulate you on this fellow countryman of yours who lived like a saint and died like a hero. I say with certainty that this simple man is the only saint I have ever met in my life. My dear family, Frank's testimony is such an important one for our present times. Our world has also fallen into ideologies that cause moral degeneration. Schools robbing children of their innocence, confusing their sexual identity, offering to mutilate them for life with transgender surgery. Parents who protest are labeled domestic terrorists. Nazism is now viewed as the epitome of evil, but the label is used as a weapon by those who themselves act as Nazis to defame their opponents. They excoriate and silence opponents who do not submit to the dictates of the state and the media. They call Nazi extremists those who believe in the sacredness of human life, the unchangeable identity of men and women, the sacredness of marriage as a union between a man and a woman, and the right of individuals over their medical decisions. 
Fear is again causing people uncritically to accept government mandates, thinking they are being protected. How was Franks able to act clearly and courageously? This is the key now, right? So the most important. These are the two pillars that sustain him. Though he was a farmer with a lot of hard work, he went to the Eucharist every day, even though he worked from dawn to dusk in his farm. And he still volunteered as a custodian of his little village church and participated in adoration. He daily meditated the Bible. He had a strong family life and he loved Mary. People thought he was crazy because he would be working in the fields, praising God and praying the rosary. Mary taught him to love from the heart and forgive. Frank's example of forgiveness and love for the clergy inspired me to think of their sorrowful mother in Calvary. Mary saw that Peter and the others were not there. They had abandoned Jesus and abandoned her at the most difficult hour. Had she not been the woman full of grace, she would have resented and been angry towards them. In situations like that, relationships are broken. We don't want to have anything to do with the offender. But Mary did not doubt that the authority and mission Jesus had bestowed upon them remained valid. They were still who Jesus called them to be. So she continued to submit to Peter and help in the restoration of the apostles. How? Well, we see in the Bible that she gathered with them in the cenacle and prayed with them. You see, Pentecost, not anger, was the answer. Loving and forgiving is not a weakness. Sometimes we fall into anger and resentment because we're just fed up. That's weakness. Love seems sometimes impotent, but that's a lie. Love is the greatest power. Frank's witness confirms why the Lord is forming us in the power of the cross, asking us to be his little victims of love in these decisive times. From the beginning, Jesus has told us in love crucified, I am making all things new. Revelations 21.5. The Lord is challenging us to realize something new. Precisely when so many things in the church are crumbling. And finally, why this testimony of Frank Jagerstatter? I discovered Frank Jagerstatter providentially when I was at seminary over 40 years ago. I had the intuition that the Lord put him in my life because 
the world was heading towards a similar situation and few were aware of it. And that my mission was to prepare those who would listen to proclaim the power of the cross. Well, as the first anniversary of Frank's beatification was approaching, I felt called to visit his resting place in the hamlet of Radegun in Austria, where he had lived as a farmer, to pray for guidance for our community, Love Crucified, which had been founded in 2008. We arrived in October 7, 2008 to Radegund, and the mailman led us on his bike to the beautiful little chapel. On the exterior wall hangs a large crucifix over the tomb full of flowers. As we prayed by the tomb, two ladies arrived and prayed next to us. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. They were Francisca Jagerstatter, the wife, and one of the daughters. I felt that God was confirming my seminary intu intuition. I hugged her. I cried. And I said to Francisca Jagerstatter, the wife, you're the only woman in the world who doesn't have to pray for her husband. Francisca joined her beloved husband at the age of 100 on March 16, 2013. Brothers and sisters, now it's our turn. God bless you. For more information on the path to union with God, please visit the Love Crucified Community website at www.lovecrucified.com. God bless you.